Hey everyone, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for faith and life. I'm Tony, and today is episode 76 of the podcast. I sit down with linebacker, podcaster, speaker, and humanitarian Sam Atcho. Sam has a brand new book out, Let the World See You, and it's all about what it means to step out in faith and let the world see you exactly the way that God created you. Uh, I think you're going to love this conversation. It's about taking off masks. It's about being bold. It's about really showing yourself and how Sam overcame so many of his fears to become and live out his Christian faith in a world that isn't always receptive to Christians, professional football. So I think you're going to love this conversation. More importantly, I think you're going to love Sam. He is such a kind human. He's got a huge heart. He is so much fun. If you do love the conversation, please do me a favor. Leave a rating or review on iTunes. We're working real hard to get up to uh, 100 reviews by the end of the year. We're almost to 50. We're at 43 right now. And with your help, I know that we can do it. I'm so thankful for each and every one of you who leave a rating or review. I read every single one of them. And I'm so thankful for what God is doing through this platform. And I'm thankful for you for, for taking the time to let us be a part of your lives. It really does mean the world to me. Without any further ado, here's my conversation with Sam Acho. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast. I am here with a humanitarian author, speaker, and uh, NFL linebacker, Sam Acho. Sam, welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks for being here today. Man, Tony, I'm so glad to be here. You know, just as well as I do, I was jumping through some hoops, (laughs) technical difficulties, but man, you have no idea uh, how much of a joy it is to be on with you. Well, I I just um, finished your book, Let the World See You, and I can't tell you what a blessing it was to read that. Um, This podcast is coming out the week of your book release. How are you feeling about this momentous occasion? I'm excited. I, I... Uh, excited would be an understatement. I've been, I've been thinking about this book, praying for this book, praying for the people who are going to read the book, praying for the message, uh, hoping and praying that their hearts will be changed by the message. And so, excited would be an understatement. I'm over overjoyed. I am ecstatic. I am. I am. I'm not even really ready because people say I'm just ready. Right? We talked about it earlier. It's almost like yeah, when, when you know I have three kids and we've had three babies. It's like all right, the baby's here. It's like okay, what's next? Right? right. I'm not ready for that moment. I just want this momentum to keep on building and building and building. Uh, but I just want people to 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 get that book in their hands. That's awesome. Um, one of the things that struck me about the book is there's this kind of theme about hiding and uh, and letting God see you for who you really are. And we find ourselves in the midst of COVID. And uh, 2020 is a weird time for anyone, but I would imagine it's especially weird to release a book in the middle of a global pandemic. And it's all about getting people to see you when more people are isolated than ever before. Uh, tell me your thoughts on any of that. Yeah, it's interesting. A lot, in a lot of the book, I talk about taking off the mask. So people are like, well, hold on, hold on. You got to keep your mask off. <laughs> but I, but it's, I talk about like taking off the, 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 the figurative, right? Not the literal mask, right? I don't know. It depends on what state you're in. There are different rules. But the figurative masks that we wear and the, and the both literal and figurative hiding that we stay in. So, so for me, and I talk about this in the book, I remember at a young age, I was getting picked on and getting talked about. And I, went, I would go 13, 14 years old. I went to the bathroom stall to hide just so I wouldn't get talked about. And I, as I've transitioned from being 13 and now I'm 32 and in the NFL and all these things, 
no, I don't go and hide in bathroom stalls because I'm getting made fun of as a teenager or a little you know, <laughs> you know, tween, whatever. But some oftentimes I would go and I would hide within myself. I would hide. Yeah. I wouldn't show people the real me, my real emotions, my real, the real Sam. And so especially during COVID when we're already isolated, I think this message couldn't be timed out more perfectly. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree. As, as I was reading it, I was thinking, man, there's a lot of people that need to hear about the process of getting um, to the real you. And you kind of open the book talking about your mentor, Jerry. And um, tell me about that relationship. How did it develop? And then um, how did Jerry plant the seed that would eventually get you to where you are today? Yeah, well, Jerry, Jerry Price was my next door neighbor when I lived in Arizona. I just gotten drafted to the Cardinals. And I found a place to live. And we had a different neighbor originally. And then the next year, this, this older couple moved in. It was this, They were about 60-something, 50-something years old. Uh, they've been married for almost you know, 40 years. They're in their late, late 50s or, or, or mid-60s. Married for almost 40 years. And they just looked like they were loving life. Mm. Like they were just loving life, loving each other. They would throw parties at their house all the time. Like more, more parties than I threw. Right? <laughs> they, would throw, they would throw parties at their house. They would dance together. I mean, he would just, just the way he loved her well, they would hold hands. It was amazing. And I had... I had just gotten married and my wife is from Nigeria and she had just come to the United States. And when she came to America, she just said, man, this, everything here is just so fast paced. It's always seems like people are on the go and they're asking a million questions, but it's almost like they don't really want to know you. They just want mm-hmm. to seem like they're, they want to seem like they're interested, but they don't, they don't really want to know you. They're just talking and talking and talking instead of really sitting and being with me. But but man, something about Judy, which is Jerry's, Jerry's wife, something about Judy is different. And I noticed the same thing with Jerry. Something about Jerry was different. And so I'd always go to his house and I would just sit. I would just sit and listen and watch him and watch them or talk with him. And when, when Judy and my wife would go and go on their excursions, Jerry and I would spend time together. And so we had this great relationship. Well, fast forward after I played a couple of years for the Cardinals, I went to the Bears. And I was in Chicago going on my third year with the Bears. And I, I saw a Facebook post from Jerry Price. Mm. And in the interim, Jerry had actually, he'd gotten cancer. And so we oh, knew wow. about it. We were, we were, we were, we were praying for him. We sure. were supporting them and we were um, like, just, you know, whatever we could do to make sure he was okay. And it seemed like nothing was working. It seemed like the treatments weren't working. He wasn't getting better. And so we see this post and he was, he essentially was asking for permission to leave. Permission wow. to leave. And, Jer- and Jerry's a, he's a follower of Jesus, right? He loves, nice. loves Jesus. And he's like, man, I'm ready to go see Jesus. And so I immediately call him and I, and as soon as he picks up, I could tell he was only at like 20% of his, like the strength that he usually had. This guy's gregarious and vibrant. He just was different. And, and so I say, Jerry, give me what you got, man. What do you, I need to hear from you. If you're talking about permission to leave and what do you mean? Tell me something, right? I used to sit in your office all the time in your house all the time. Uh, tell me what, what I need to know. And he said, Sam, he said, there's two things I've learned in my, at this point, he was 70, 70 some odd years. In my 70 plus years on this earth, there's two things that I would say are the most important things you could ever do. He says, number one, get to know Jesus intimately. Hmm. He said, God takes no greater joy than you getting to know his son. Get to know Jesus intimately, right? Spend time with God, get to know him. And he paused. And I'm sitting, okay, well, that's the first, what's, what, come on, man, give me, what do you, and he said, the second thing, Sam, I want you to know is that he said, you are worth getting to know. Mm. 
never forget that you are worth getting to know. And those 10 words, right? You're worth getting. So never forget those words would stick with me from that point, which is two years ago to the inception of the book. It's how I start the book. This that story you heard is essentially how the book starts. And even till now, understanding that, that I and we are worth getting to know. So I, I think that there are a lot of people who are listening right now who, um, who know of Jesus, right? And they may not be following Jesus fully, but I think um, one of the things that the church world uses a lot, Christians use a lot, is the word intimacy with, with Jesus. I guess in the, in the two years since you got that piece of wisdom, how have you explored what intimacy with Jesus looks like in your life? Mm, I love that question. <laughs> Intima- intimacy with Jesus is a, it's like a marinade. Mm. It's like a marinade. It's not something you just like some people just dip. Let me dip into church. Let me dip. Let me just read the Bible once or twice. It's this deal where man, every moment, every, every second, Every doubt, every fear, every joy, like I got to go back and spend time with Jesus, whether that's reading the Bible and just like picking a verse and just trying to remember that verse and say that verse and, and see how that verse applies to my life, whether it's just praying. And I'm not talking about before a meal or, you know, maybe some people like before they go to bed, I'm talking about like daily conversations, moment by moment conversations. And, and then lastly, checking in with myself, hmm. right? Oftentimes I would get, I'd catch myself getting really angry and I didn't understand why angry or confused or all these things. And, and really just checking in and saying, okay, God, how do you want me to handle this situation? And so for me, when I say, when we talk about intimacy with, with Jesus, it is like, it's a, it's a moment by moment decision, but there really is no greater joy than getting to know Jesus. I I love the, uh, the visual idea of, of, marinating because it, it just takes so much time like intimacy takes time and it's a it's a lifelong process and so i think that that's a really good description and i don't know about you but i struggle so much with slowing down i, I would much rather be doing things for jesus than just being with jesus and that's a that's a, a growing edge in my own life um i'm curious your journey is has been from um, the University of, of Texas at Austin to the NFL, and um, and you've been living um, in different seasons of your faith throughout that. How how did you manage work life balance in an industry that seemingly is not very uh, open to faith? I'm sorry, faith and work balance in an industry that's not very seemingly open to faith. How do you be a Christian in a in a room full of people that are are really aggressive and are, are out operating at a, a high elite level that most of us just don't ever see. I love that. Um, that question and that, that question, that even conversation within myself was a struggle, uh, man, how do I, the NFL is, you know, a bunch of just type A personalities and just the macho, the bravado and you know, well, the Bible talks about being humble and be, you know, and it's right. supposed to be a Christian, you know, but if you think about it, a real Christian isn't this shy, timid, let me stand in the background and see what happens kind of person. A real Christian, uh, you know, what does 2 Timothy 1, 7 say? God didn't give us a spirit of uh, timidity or spirit of fear, uh, but a spirit of power yeah, and a spirit of love and a sound mind. People always go to the examples of Jesus and it's like, well, he flipped over tables. Yeah, he did. He did flip over tables. 
But also, if you look at the way that Jesus talked to uh, Pharisees or Sadducees, people who thought they were real Christians and religious people, and he was like, you guys have got it all wrong. In their face, didn't even care, right? And so there's a misconception that Christianity somehow is this idea of, of being timid or, yeah. or not being competitive or not being a high achiever. But for me, my faith in Jesus, my, 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 my faith in God, my, him, me knowing that no matter what, he's got my back, like I'm rooted in him, I'm like grounded. It gives me the freedom to go and be all he's created me to be. Because that was the issue. The issue was I felt like I had to go and pretend I'm this nice guy. Hey guys, I'm just really nice and shy and don't really want to talk. And, but that's not me, right? There's a side of me that is this just wants to get to know people. But there's another side that's like a like a wolf on the football field that wants to hunt. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like all of it's like all of us, right? There's a side in us. There's pieces of us. It's like, man, I just got this drive. Right? I have this um, just this passion or this desire, and they come out in different ways. And 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 God doesn't want us to to keep those away from the world. He wants us to share those passions, those desires, those gifts with the world. Otherwise, he wouldn't have even given them to us. And so for me, like the NFL or even in a business or whatever, you get to know Jesus. Because mm. once you get to know Jesus, you'll see, oh, wow, Jesus was, you operated with the lowliest of lows, but he also operated and challenged the highest of highs. The Bible says he was a lion and a lamb. He wasn't just a lamb. I think Christianity is just lamb. No, he was a lion as well. He's the lion of Judah, right? He's this 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 beast right like this 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 um powerful entity who chose at times to subdue his power for the benefit of somebody else and so i think with us as christians in in the nfl right um, when i'm at my best i am being fully me i'm showing the power of christ that's in me but I'm also at times showing the humility and the grace to be able to turn the other cheek. So, uh, I, you know, I, one of the words that came to me is, as you were telling, kind of recounting some of that is the idea of boldness, right? And, and um, there's a couple times in the, in the book where you talk about God moved you to boldness. And um, I was hoping that you would tell one of the stories uh, one of my favorite football players of all times, Larry Fitzgerald. And uh, you tell a story about him in the book, your sophomore year of Arizona. I was wondering if you would tell us that story and kind of share um, how that boldness paid off in a, in a really cool way. Without a doubt. Well, so I, I just got drafted to the Arizona Cardinals and I, you know, my, my friends, my teammates were like, really not even teammates, friends from college, teammates from college were like, dude, you're playing with with Larry Fitzgerald, this is like right. the man. And not only was he the man, like not only is he at that point, the number one wide receiver, future hall of famer, and not only is he all those things, but also I was getting really great. Uh, people were saying, man, he's, he's a, is he a Christian? Right. Cause they need to call people's young life group. So you do FaceTime, you do all these different things. Like, tell me about him. Tell me about him. Tell me about him. And, and the fact of the matter is I knew nothing about him. Even throughout my entire rookie season, I knew nothing about him. Not because he was just some high and mighty, too good for anybody else conversation. It was just, I was scared to get to know him. And it wasn't until the end of my rookie year where finally I said, I'm, I was getting all these questions and I was tired of lying. I was like, yeah, yeah, he's great. I love him. Oh, he's the best. <laughs> I was just sick. I was like, I got somebody, I'm going to get caught sooner or later. And so 
you know, finally I go up to him and I say, because I'm like, I can't, I can't, I can't lie anymore. I go up to him, it was in our offseason going into my second year, and I'd started my rookie year and got played well. Go go up to him and I say, Hey Fitz. And he looks at me and I say, Hey, people talk to me all the time. And, and one thing I know, one thing about me, I notice, I notice things about people. So I noticed that that yes, Fitz is a superstar, but he really does have this, you know, cares about what people think, what people say. Sure. And just it's like, hey, you want to, you know, you, you know, you want to look good. I want to know that I look good, all these things. And so I say, people come to me all the time. They ask me about you. They ask if you are as, as great of a person in real life as you seem, uh, as you seem. And he says, well, what do you, what do you tell them? And I said, well, I tell them, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if you're a good guy or not. And he says, dude, why would you say that? He said, why, why don't you just take the time to get to know me? And so I did. Right, this moment, like, and all that, I talk about this conversation, but it was really this fear. Yeah. I was scared to get to know him because in my mind, he was a superstar and he was this, you know, high and mighty guy. And who am I? I'm just so little. I'm so small and you know, humble. And, uh, and, and finally, I built, built up the courage to go have a conversation and get to know him. And that relation, that conversation turned into a relationship where, where he learned a lot about me. I learned a lot about him. We actually would go to each other's, he'd go, he, I'd go to his house. I had an apartment at the time. But he, I'd go to his house and we'd play chess. We would talk about life, about politics, about mission work, about humanitarianism, all these different things. And it got to a point where he actually invited me to go and meet a few of his friends. So I'm like, all right, well, you know, an invitation related for Gerald, I, it's hard to turn down, but who are these friends, right? Okay. I, was, I, was a, I was afraid to ask, but he said, hey, Sam, he texted me the night before, said, hey, Sam, I want you to meet some of my friends tomorrow, uh, right after practice. All I'll say is this, he said, dress to impress. Got it. So went to practice the next day, didn't even ask who it was, rushed through practice, went, got, you know, showered, changed, uh, got in the car to follow Fitz to wherever we were going. And we pull up to this hotel. Um, we walk inside. There's thousands of people in there. We walk inside, kind of through some doors, go through like this back door, go down these steps around behind this curtain, go down another set of steps behind another curtain. And we go to this, this, this room and we're sitting down. It's me. It's, it's three of our teammates. I'm like, okay, what is going on? Who are we here to meet? And he's like, shh, shh, shh. the president's about to walk in. <laughs> and I'm like, the who, the who, the president of the United States. So at that point, it was a former president, right? So, so sure. a few minutes later, uh, Bill Clinton walks into the room. And I'm like, this is, and mind you, I'd never met a president. I'm just, I'm just a guy. Bill Clinton walks into the room. And so it's like three, four of us and Bill Clinton. We start having a conversation. And in the middle of the conversation, two things happen. Number one, because Fitz and I got to know each other, he said, hey, 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 Bill, this is what, what Larry said. Hey, Bill, I know you do a lot of work in Nigeria, right? And mind you, Bill Clinton and Larry Fitzgerald had a great relationship because they do a lot of humanitarian work uh, with, with hearing aids. And they do work in Nigeria. And he knows Fitz knew that I was a Nigerian. He said, hey, 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 Bill, I know you do a lot of work in Nigeria. Sam has a nonprofit. He does work in Nigeria as well. Sam, tell the president about the work you do. <laughs> and so like i'm like i'm gonna uh, uh, oh, oh, nice to meet you you know and so finally i was just like i start i start sharing with them the work we do my family and i we still you know, my parents started a ministry called living Hope christian ministries and we do medical mission work with the hospital and sharing all these things and as i'm sharing the door opens up again and another president walks in now it's now it's george bush mm. so president bush walked in as well and so it was this deal where so we walk in we're talking we're laughing he actually knew president bush knew me from my time at the University of Texas. Well, they were there for an event. They were speaking at this event, and 
and uh, we finish our backstage conversation. They leave to go speak. Uh, we go, we sit down there at seats reserved, you know, guests of the president, right? So I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> and they actually, they actually both give me a shout out on stage. Wow. You know, right. And so, and so, um, it was just interesting because all that happened, and even and and, and I've actually developed a relationship with with both presidents since then. But all that happened because of my willingness to not only be bold and almost listen to the leading of the Lord, because it was God leading me, like, hey, yeah. go just have a conversation. It was that, but also my willingness to get to know this person who maybe people hadn't gotten to know him, and also to allow him to get to know me as well. So one of the questions I love to ask people. Um, specifically as it pertains to stepping out in boldness and in faith, like you did, um, like you did with, with Larry and like you did with the presidents is how do you know that it's God leading you and not just your own desires or like, um, you know, your own wants, what, how, how do you distinguish the difference in God's voice and your voice? Yeah, for me, I think there's a practical reason and there's also, there's like biblical reasons as well starting with the practical for me, oftentimes the things that God wants me to do, they were, they had oftentimes things that I sometimes may be a little bit afraid of doing. Right. And I don't, in my flesh, it's like, man, I'm kind of scared of hmm. going to go place X or place Y, right? There's even, we talk a lot in the book about going to different presidents or prisons, maximum security prisons and all these things and going to the South side of Chicago and all these things where I'm like, I don't really know if I want to do it, but there's something deep inside of me. That's like this feeling of peace of just this peace of like, it's, 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 like I'm with you, right? So there's almost this feeling of going against what I'm, you know, what naturally I might want to do, um, but knowing that there's peace into it. But then also just biblically, what I like to do is just, it goes back to getting to know Jesus, but just like reading scripture, like I'm looking at like the words that Jesus said, like how does, the Bible talks about like a shepherd, a guy, you know, he's the shepherd and, and you know, he, the sheep hear his voice. And so um, for me, just reading through the gospels, and say, man, what, what are the kinds of things that Jesus said? Mm. Like, what are the kinds of things that he said? I know he talks about, uh, even look at the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the, are the meek and the poor in spirit and all these things. Like, Jesus isn't running around saying, hey, make as much money as you can and sure. step on as many people as you can. It's about success and followers. No, Jesus said, uh, eat my flesh, drink my blood, and all the followers left. You know what I mean? So it's, <laughs> right. like, it's not about this massive following. And so I'm like, man, getting to know, like, what are the types of, like, almost like the way he's spoken. He talks about his spirit. He gives us his spirit. And so for me, uh, practically, it's almost like running into the fire, right? Running into the fear. And then biblically, it's reminding us of just like, I'm with you. I'm, it's almost like you can hear, I'm, I'm with you. Like, it's, it's just this overwhelming sense of peace. Uh, so when are you going to plant your church, Sam? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm still laughing. You're looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. That'll preach any day of the week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've always said, I said, man, I'll, people said, man, you should be a pastor. I said, I want to pastor my teammates, right? I'll be the, I'll be the pastor of the guys in the locker room. That's not what I'm saying. But I, I haven't got the call yet, so I'm waiting on it. <laughs> um, it it's clear to me that uh, your family is a crucial part of your identity. and um, and you met your wife in Nigeria and, and the ministry that's happening over there. Can, can you, I, I think one of the things that's, that's become really prevalent in the midst of COVID is that people are um, floundering because they've lost some of their identity, not just their identity in Christ, but their identity in family. Can you talk about 
your upbringing and how you got to be, um, you know, kind of, kind of where you are. And uh, there, there's even a, a story in the book about the opportunity to go play at USC and uh, your dad really, I mean, uh, it, the way it read was it was almost authoritative. Lee said, um, that's, that's not going to work for you. Can you tell that story and kind of uh, give us a little uh, glimpse into your upbringing? Yeah, definitely. Well, so my, for me, it starts with my parents. My parents were born and raised in Nigeria and, and they came to the United States in their mid twenties. And, and so culturally, though I was born in Dallas, Texas, I was raised in a Nigerian household. So what that means is there's certain like tastes and smells, right? We do a lot of like fried plantain and goat meat and oxtail and, and all these different kinds of things, rice and stew and okra soup and pep, you know, we call it pepe soup and all these different kinds of things and cat, all these things. So culturally there's this like, almost like a smell. And then also there's a feel to a Nigerian household. It's very authoritative, very patriarchal. You respect your parents, respect your elders, respect your, you know, respect everyone, but it's also this deep um, family tightness of, you know, everyone's your auntie or your uncle. Oh yeah. When it comes to anyone who else is Nigerian, oh, that's auntie, that's uncle. Everybody's your cousin. So we all, people talk about it takes a village to raise a child. It's, it's, it, that's where they got it from, right? It takes a village. And so, so I grew up in a Nigerian household, but also went to a, an all white school in Dallas, Texas. And your dad was a doctor at this time? Yeah. My dad was a, uh, he just got his PhD. So he was a doctor. He was also a pastor at a church at an, at, a, at an all black church in South Dallas. Oh, wow. And so, so I was going, so my dad's, this, uh, he's a doctor, he's a, he's a marriage counselor and he's a, uh, pretty much the, the family kind of therapist for the pe- anybody at the church, a mega church, huge church in Dallas. And so on Sundays and Wednesdays, I was at this, you know, all black church with my dad as a pastor, Dr. Acho, Pastor Acho. And, you know, Monday to Friday, I'm, I'm at this, you know, predominantly white school, but then at home. I'm in this Nigerian household. So there's almost like these, I got used to putting on masks. Yeah. I got used to knowing how to fit in where, how to talk, what to say, how to almost even think in certain environments. And so growing up, I just got used to that. Just the um, malleability of being able to like kind of change and transform um, depending on where I was at. And so for me, even looking at football, we talk about the story of me getting a, a, I started playing football in probably the seventh grade, sixth grade. And I started playing because my younger brother played and he was really good and scoring a bunch of touchdowns. I just was, I wanted to join. And so I started playing and I got pretty good. I got a scholarship at USC from USC. And, and I kind of sped through that story, but I, I, I guess I'm making the point to say that at that point to get a scholarship, to go play football in college from the number one school, my dad was like, Oh, like, what are we waiting for? It's a scholarship, you know? But talking about leading, listening to that voice of God, something in my spirit wasn't sitting well with saying yes to this coach. I, had, I got a call from Pete Carroll at the time, who was the, the head coach, and they wanted me to verbally commit. And for whatever reason, though, that was the number one school. Though I had no other offers. I had showed up at this football. I showed up, I showed up to this invite-only football <laughs> camp in California. I was not invited. I showed up, and they saw me. They said, you're a great one. I offer you a scholarship. And I said, no. Oh, wow. I said, no, but it's just like something wasn't sitting right. But that no opened up, the, opened up a door to a, a ton of yeses. I actually said no while I was on my way to go 
I went to the camp. They showed some interest. They said, we'll call you back. I said, hey, feel free to call me back. In two weeks from now, I'm going to Nigeria on a medical mission trip. So I may not be able to pick up your call because I have no service. They said, we'll be in touch. Well, two weeks later, they call me. I'm at the airport getting ready to take off and they offer me a scholarship. I turn it down. <laughs> I turn it down. I don't even know. And, and it wasn't based off this overconfident, oh, I got better offers. I just, something couldn't say yes. And so I say no, get on the plane to go do medical mission work. And I'm thinking, man, my, my shot to play football in college is over. What have I done? We land, we do our work and God really moves there. And God reminds me, hey, you're more than just a football player. Yeah. Right. My heart really like, my heart really beats when I'm doing that work in Nigeria specifically, and even in certain places in America as well. My heart just beats doing that kind of work. And so, oh, so I kind of forgot about it. I wasn't stressed anymore. Well, I get back from that trip two weeks later, my, my cell service turns on and I get 50, I see like 50 missed calls and 30 some odd messages from coaches all around the country because they had heard that USC had offered me. And so, and also my, my coach had put this highlight tape on this recruiting website called Rivals. And so, and so I, I just use that story to say, going back to your point of following God's lead, um, but also even going to a point of, you know, being a, in a authoritative, my dad was like, why would you, almost like, why would you say no? Right. And I just, I didn't know what else to say. Uh, and so, but God opened up a door again there as well. So now you have, you have three kids and your oldest is five. Is that right? That's right. Um, are you, and Will you say your wife's name for me? I don't want to be ignorant yes. and say it wrong. I'm yes. sorry. No, my no, 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 my wife's name is Ngazi. It's funny as Ngazi. I write, I talk about her in the book. And so you do. Like, hopefully, hopefully, people can say it right. It's Ngazi for anybody who wants to know. So you and Ngazi are uh, you, you meet in Nigeria, and a bunch of people make a joke about how you're going to get married, and then you end up getting married, and now you have these three kids. Let Let me ask you this. Uh, are you raising them in a Nigerian home now? Are you trying to keep those traditions alive? What's that? What's that like for you um, being married to someone who was predominantly raised in Nigeria versus someone who was raised, as you said, very mal, you know, in different, different scenarios? Yeah. So for me, are we raising our kids in a Nigerian household? Yes and no. My wife was born and raised in Nigeria. She didn't come to the United States until we got married, right? Even yeah. if anyone's seen 90 Day Fiance, it wasn't as much drama, but we kind of went through a similar <laughs> experience, right? We had 90 days to get married. I had known her since we were, we'd known each other since we were 15. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, we're raising our kids, you know, being a Nigerian American is just who, is, is who I, it's part of who I am. Yeah. So my favorite food still to this day is fried plantains and, and rice and stew, this tomato based stew that we, that my wife makes and my mom would make as well. So, it's who we are. We, 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 I can't sit here and say I'm, I'm teaching them, you know, I'm, I'm working on the language and everything like that, but it's who we are. I'm raising them to follow God, to respect their family, to respect their siblings, to value family. Cause in Nigeria, it's all about family. I think that's one benefit of that of, not the benefit, but in a pandemic, the fact that we've got a chance to spend a lot of time with our family. It's not like you just get kicked out of the house and you're 18 yeah. it's, and it's gone. It's like, no, man, like my, my dad's eyes, y'all are under my reign until you're married, especially for the girls, right? We have, we have two, yeah, I have two older sisters. Y'all, yeah, y'all are, I'm responsible until, until I hand you over to whoever is going to take over responsibility. Even, even my sons, Hey, I'm, I understand you're old and you're grown, but I'm still a dad. I still got uh, boatloads of wisdom. Um, if you give me an opportunity, like I'm dad. And so I'm still raising, we're still raising our kids in that way, but there is a little bit of an American kind of flavor and spice to it as well. And I'm not exactly sure how to verbalize that, 
per se, um, but I'm just trying to raise them to to love God, to love people, to understand they are valued, they are worth it. I know for me, uh, there's this idea, especially being a man, of not showing emotion and you know why are you crying and all these things. I'm trying to I'm trying to as I'm learning to sit with my emotions, allow my kids, my son in particular, my five year old um, son, I have a two year old as well. He is adorable. Like I was, yes. I was Instagram. Stop. You and your wife are doing good work. So yeah, you know. it's all her, man. It's all her, man. <laughs> I say they all, they all take after her. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how we're raising them. That's how we're raising them. Do you guys do any, uh, and I'm, I'm curious, mostly for my own benefit, I'm always trying to figure out what other families are doing in terms of like uh, how they connect their family together. Do you guys do any family devotionals or, um, you, you know, do you guys have some intentional practices that, that you guys like to lift up? Yes. Well, uh, we do what we do every day, every morning and every night uh, we spend time in prayer mm. and not just prayer. We actually spend time in worship as well. It's, uh, James five, 13, 17, James five, 13. It says, is anyone among you um, sick? He should pray. It goes on to say, if any, is anyone among you cheerful, he should sing praises. And I never thought about it in this way, but what we always do every morning is we'll sing praises. We'll worship God. Yeah. We'll pick a couple songs. Some of those are Nigerian songs, right? They're Evo songs that we'll sing. Some are typical and then we'll worship American songs. Yeah. Uh, we'll just worship God. We'll just sing God's praises. We'll make a joyful no- noise. We'll sing and then we'll pray every morning. And then again, we'll come together as a family every night and do the same. We'll sing and we'll pray. And that was something that I remember growing up. That's what we did consistently, consistently in the mornings. We'd pray, um, we'd sing. And as we got no, as we got older and, you know, kids, you know, as me, as as a child, I was getting older and, you know, working up early for practice or whatever, we may not do the singing every morning, but we would definitely pray and pray at night. But on Saturday mornings, we'd all get together in my parents' room. We would sing worship songs. We'd all pray. Kids as well. My two-year-old prays, right? And so he's not just saying amen. We're sure, trying to get sure. him to say amen. Give me an amen at least. He's pretty yeah. stubborn, but, um, but yes, that's what we do. And for us, I don't care what any other, you know, family is doing, anybody else believes that's the foundation. And so when they go to school, I can't expect their schools to teach them to the school might teach them, okay, pray before meals and pray this way. But no, nah, man, we, and we'll read scripture too. Maybe yeah. not every day, but it's we'll just go through some verses. And you know, to a point now where my five-year-old says, man, okay, let's read about, I want to read about Jonah. Or he says, oh man, can we, can we go read about uh, Moses? So that's the cool thing. When you start instilling those um, values in your kids, it's not, it's not rocket science, but it's also not, it's not, you know, five minute coffee or pizza either. You know what I mean? It's, uh, it's intentional, intentionally praying for them and showing them what it's like to follow Jesus. Uh, so another question, maybe for my benefit more than most, but I, I'm curious about how your dad um, raised elite athletes who were still grounded in their faith. I, I have two, um, I have three kids. I have two boys and a princess, right? And um, I love raising young men of faith and discipling them and um, discipling my daughter. And, and they're, they're all in sports. How, how did you guys manage the, um, the pull on your time versus because, you know, like, obviously in the NFL, you play on Sundays, right? Or Mondays or Thursdays and apparently now Saturdays too. But anyway, that's not the point, right? You play all the time. It's, a, it's an all-the-time job for so many months. And then even in college, same thing. And even at, and, you know, high school, I mean, we're, 
I've got a fourth grader who's playing football and we're practicing three to five nights a week, two hours at a time. How did your family balance um, faith and sports and that tension between the two? Because one of the things I see a lot is that it's, it's hard to hold them both in tension. Yeah. For us, I don't know if I've ever told anybody this. I don't know how many people know this, but there was never really any tension. Faith always took precedent. Mm. And, and so even to your question of, man, how did, how did your parents raise elite athletes? That was all God. Anybody knows wow. my dad? My dad is five, six, five, seven on a good day. <laughs> right? My mom, well, let me give him five. My dad's five, seven. My mom's five, six. Um, and yeah, granted, my, and they, I, I'm confident they were both good at, great athletes. And back when Nigeria, my mom, she ran track for, I think she actually could have gone to, uh, for the Nigerian Olympic team. Um, so there's like the genes are there as well. But it wasn't like a dream that you guys are going to go play in the NFL. It was education, education, education. Yeah. Because for, for my parents, education was the way out, especially of Nigeria. Education was the only way out. And so football just happened. It was, and, and initially, right, God opened up those doors. We weren't – my parents put us in sports because we were running around the house breaking stuff. They said, just go outside, just, you know, just do something. So it was like basketball. It was baseball. It was football. It was all these different things just because. Uh, but – I think the best example is this sophomore year, no, junior year, getting to my senior year. I just got these offers from USC and then all the other schools, right? Mailboxes. Like I still got them in my room, boxes full of letters of schools offering scholarships. And I remember being feeling pretty good about myself and like, wow, my whole life's about to change. This is great. And I remember getting a C on an assignment. I got a C. Yeah. A C. A C, right? My dad looked at me and said, what is this? I'm like, what's this a C? I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm going to college and I'm good. He said, if you don't get these up, and granted, I think I, it might have been a D plus, right? I mean, just give me a little bit of credit. I'm not like a D plus or whatever, but he said, if I see another one of these, I'm taking you out of football. <laughs> try, try me. Try, try me. me. <laughs> and in my mind, I'm like, dude, we have a Scott. I didn't even know all the math and the numbers. I was like, bro, right. I'm going to go to school for free. How could you take me out? And so there was never, and I, and I use that as an example for education. I'm using that as an example for education, but there was never a struggle. It was never this deal of like, okay, I got to get you the best I can and train and eat this and do that. It was like, hey, I'm here. To, you're here to get education. Right. I put you in the number one rated school. So it's education and also it's following Jesus, right? So it's like, you're not missing church on this Sunday for a game. Or yeah, and that, granted, there weren't games, but you're not missing, you know, whatever we have. Like, that's the most important thing. And so God honored that. Yeah. God honored that. And I'm sure the story is different for many people, but we talk, you asked me about my story. That was my story. It was never a struggle. It was, we, my parents honored God and then God honored them through us. I, I love it. I love it. And, and it's, um, it's simple, but not easy, right? Like it's, I mean, it's, there's obviously there's a lot of pressure there and, your parents, uh, your parents' faith is probably what led them to, to where you, that wasn't a debate for them. And so I, I think a lot of times uh, we make an idol out of sports and, and it's not even, it's not even intentionally. I wouldn't say like anyone's waking up saying, oh man, I'm going to make sports an idol or, you know, I, and I'm certainly not one of those guys. It's like, man, football is the enemy. I mean, I love, I love all of it, right? Give me all the sports. But, but the truth is, is, we make idols because we 
where we lost sight of who God really is. And I, and I love that in your story because it's, um, it's very definitive of that, that everything that happened seemingly happened because you went back to God. Bingo. Bingo. There was never any gray area. And when I, when I say that here, what I'm saying, it doesn't mean that I still don't. And I didn't like waver in my faith or, um, sin or anything. I mean, no, don't hear that. But for my parents, there was never any gray area of who the God is that we serve. Hmm. I think it's in Deuteronomy. It's, he talks about um, choose this day who you will serve. Right. There was never any gray area. It's like, am I going to serve God? Or am I going to serve this success or um, this fame or this sport? You know, there was never any gray area. And I think back to you know, the Bible talks about, you know, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. You reap what you sow. Um, just the way they would sow. And I know that verse specifically talks about um, people sowing into their flesh and sexual, you know, um, you know, being lusty, lustful and all these things. And, um, but even on, a, on another level, every summer they would go back and bring 30, 40 volunteers and go do medical mission work in Nigeria. They weren't getting paid for it. They would just go and serve. Right. My dad served at a church. My dad, God, God was calling him to start another church. He started a church. Like, it's not like you mentioned it, it's simple, but it's not easy. We want all these things. And God says, seek first the kingdom, right? Seek first the kingdom and yeah. then all these things. So we want all the things. And we're like, how oh, do I get all the things? God's like, no, seek me and, I'll, and then you'll get all the things. You have not because you ask not. He talks about um, if you believe, was it Matthew 21, 22? If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. So we're over here scurrying, saying, I want this, I want that. We don't even go to the point of, let me pray about it. Can I pray about it? And see what God thinks about it. Mm. Yeah, I'm at a point right now in football, free agent. I'm not sure what team I'm going to play it for. I'm not sure uh, if I still want to play. God, are you taking me to a different route, different area? Um, am I seeking first the kingdom, or am I just trying to uh, call as many teams as I can and say, "Hey, I want to play"? Am I seeking first the kingdom, or am I trying to sell as many books as possible? Right, seek first the kingdom, and then all the things will be added. That's what my parents did, and that's what I'm trying to do uh, in raising my kids. So as you are um, just real practical, as you are kind of living in this tension of not sure what's next in your professional career and you're, you've got a lot of irons in the fire and you're, you're doing tons of humanitarian work um, in Chicago and, and around the world, how, how do you on a daily basis give yourself space to seek the kingdom, practically speaking? Yeah, that's huge. Oh, first step. Just breathing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just breathing. I started, I started actually talking to a, a counselor. My dad is a marriage counselor. Um, and I think why I got along with Jerry a lot is that he essentially was a, a marriage counselor, kind of counselor for, for pro baseball players. And I actually started talking to a, a counselor a few years ago, right around the time when this book started to, before the book really came to birth. And I'm learning that sometimes just staying present is the most practical thing we can do. What does that look like? It looks like just breathing. Oh, like breathing. Looks like just sitting, praying. Not Praying is a two-way street. It's not just talking, it's listening. Spending time in, the, in scripture, but not as a chore. Just like, man, God, I'd love to learn more about this. Let me just read about it. You know, for me, I like, I love long showers, long, just hot showers, just in the shower. And I'll just pray, I'll just sit, I'll just pray. 
you know, oftentimes also creating space instead of just being on the go and on the go and on the go, trying to get up a little bit early sometimes and just spend time. There's a devotion I read called Jesus Calling by Sarah Young. Spend time reading that devotional, trying to be intentional about reading that, about creating space just to breathe, to dream. For me, sometimes basketball to a bat. I mean, there's, we all have our different things, different sure. ways, but it's just so important to create that space to allow God to transform us. You know, I think busyness oftentimes can be an idol. And this season of coronavirus and people off of work and not being able to go to school has a lot in a lot of ways absolved us from you know the 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 crutches that we run to. We run a lot of us, a lot of men, we run to work yeah. to avoid home. You know, sometimes women may run to their kids. You know, I mean, we all run to different things. Dads as well. We just go and let me just we run, we hide, and I feel like God's like it's like just like Adam and Eve in the garden when he, when when you know when they sin and and God's walking amongst them and says, "Hey, where are you, Adam? Where are you?" Of course, God knew where He was. Sure, of course He knew, but but He hid. I think a lot of us to the same point. Tony, where are you? Sam, where are you? What are you? What are you running from, and where are you running to? And so, practically speaking, looks like just slowing down. Practically, just breathing. Oftentimes, journaling, writing, listening to music for me helps a ton too. Making space for intentional time to pray. Sometimes it may be in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> making space to pray. And I feel like I got to be a superhero for my kids or superhero for my wife or for work. Um, knowing that God is the one who's going to bring the increase. Ooh, that's a word. That's a word, man. Uh, I would go to your church just so you know, uh, <laughs> solid. You, you bring a strong word. Um, thank you for being such a, uh, an open and uh, kind soul and, for your generosity today. I know that my followers, uh, listeners are going to want to, um, to follow you on the internet. Uh, where, where's the best place to start and where can they buy the book at? Uh, give us all the details about the interwebs. Definitely. Well, the best place for anybody, thank you everybody for listening. I, I, um, I love telling stories. Um, that's all. Thanks y'all for bearing with me when listening to the stories, all these stories you'll see in the book, but you can go to samachobook.com and find out more pre-order the book, you can find out more. I would love to hear more from you. And if you want to reach me, go to samachobook.com, S-A-M-A-C-H-O book.com. And on Instagram, Twitter, it's at the Samacho, T-H-E-S-A-M-A-C-H-O. That's beautiful. Okay. Last question. I always love to ask people. It's an advice question. You have to give yourself a piece of advice. Uh, I'm going to take you to a very specific time in your life. Um, the day of, uh, of the NFL draft for you. You're getting ready to go into the NFL. And, um, and there's a great story in the book about that, which we don't need to, you just need to go buy the book so you can read the story. But um, what's the one piece of advice you would give that young Sam? Lecrae has a song, it's called 828. And it says, it's going to all work out sooner or later. So it's just this idea of, uh, it's all going to work out. Yeah. Trust God. Don't worry. Don't stress. If I look back, that was 10 years ago. 
And yes, it was a stressful day and a stressful series of days, but man, it all worked out better than I could have ever dreamt or imagined. And so the advice I would give myself is truly to seek God's kingdom and everything else will and will be added. Hmm. It will be added. Stop seeking my kingdom and start continue to seek his is what I would say. That's beautiful, man. Uh, Hey, I, I appreciate you so much and your generosity with your time today and your openness and your storytelling. It was all so good. So thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Tony. Wasn't that fun? What a great guy. Sam is amazing. Do me a favor. Go follow him on all the socials. Let him know that you heard him on the Reclamation podcast and how much you appreciated having him as a guest and learning from him today. I know that I will always remember kind of this thought that you are worth getting to know. And and I believe that. I believe that about you. And I know that uh, I know that sometimes we struggle with that. So hearing that from Sam and his story was such a gift. Do me a favor. Don't forget, leave a rating or review on iTunes. We're trying to get up to 100 by the end of the year. And with your help, I know we can do it. I'm excited for what God is doing through this platform. And I'm thankful for you. So have a wonderful day. And we'll connect real soon.